0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Trader Cobb Crypto Show. Now, if you're watching this, which we've just discussed, you're probably not. You're probably listening to it. You will notice the face on your screen as being Nicholas Merton. And Nicholas is the presenter or host of Datadash. He has the largest YouTube following in the crypto space with around about 315,000 subscribers.
1: I'm fascinated about, you know, where you've come from. It's actually a channel for data analytics. So uh, we went from there uh, doing content. If you actually go all the way back, you'll see that I did a video series on uh, data analytics and SQL. This was the career field that I was going to take up. And then I decided, I was like, you know, I've got to create some videos to show that I know how to use data analytics. So I did two videos covering a topic that I was really fascinated at the time uh, by, which was cryptocurrency markets. So from there on, I just kept producing content, and lo and behold, uh, I was very fortunate to grow one of the larger communities in the crypto space. Yeah, well, it's it, it's just
0: taken off. I mean, your influence is is massive. And look, the the, the word influencer, it, it's something that's recently come out, right? It's yeah. it, it's it's something that um you know I'm st- I'm struggling to people say oh you're an influencer I'm like. Who am I really influencing? You know, like I don't want to influence people to make decisions based on what I say. I want to help people to understand and make their own decisions based on them having a good understanding of what it is that they're doing. And and I think that's a really really important thing. Now, where you are now, okay, so I'm not literally where you are in Zug, Switzerland, but more um, <laughs> so where we are in the market and where you have come from. Have you found? I mean, you were saying you've traded options, you've, you've traded futures and whatnot. Have you found that there's been any correlation at all with crypto assets, cryptocurrency and and what you were seeing in traditional markets?
1: Yeah, well, just to make a real quick point on what you said, um, Craig, I think that's a good point about the term influencer. It almost kind of leaves chills down my spine because <laughs> the thing about it is, I think people give uh, YouTubers uh, like ourselves a little too much credit. I yeah. can tell you all, uh, you know, you know, some people, for example, are worried about the Warren Buffett effect. If Warren Buffett says something nice about markets, you know, you know, maybe GDP is going to be two percent this quarter. Yeah. It'll leave prices soaring on <laughs> multi-trillion-dollar markets. Um, but the whole thing is it's reputation based, and I can tell you that any institutional investor in the space is probably not following the sole word of dated Ash or maybe even Craig as well. You know, as much as we do do active trading in the space, so that's what I always try to tell people. I, I think it's a you know we're all just opinions in this wash of different interpretations in the market. I think anyone who's done TA can see that there's so many different yeah. analyses of the market. But no, this leads me to a good point, though, as to, as what you were bringing up, Craig, like, where are we in this market right now? Uh, it's very difficult to kind of grasp where we are uh, in a lot of different markets. Equity markets are pretty difficult to time, uh, the, the exact top on as well as commodity cycles, things like that, but I think cryptocurrencies are actually uh, relatively easy to understand. Uh, and I think especially from where we are right now at the moment. So, I'll go ahead and I'll send you some charts if, I don't know, if can you display anything on your side, uh, Craig? If on you our, pop it up on your screen, I should be able to see it, yeah. Absolutely cool. I'll go ahead and try and bring it up here real quick. Sure. Um, yeah, I took a few different uh, charts that I thought would be really good to um, uh, show in regards to where we are in the current market. Good, good. Um, I've got a few different ones right here and I'll go ahead here. Um, can you see that good? Yep, got it. Loud nice. and clear. So, Yeah, so absolutely. So The thing is, uh, to let people know, for those of you who might not watch my channel, uh, I'm very simple. I I like to keep things in a macro framework, and I like to do swing trading. I don't try to do day trading. I think most people will get obliterated by the algorithms if you don't build a disciplinary strategy and find something that works. And long-term investing is good and all, but it doesn't really benefit from these very predictable cycles, or at least rough cycles, where we can get get an idea of where markets are going to top and markets are going to bottom. Mm -hmm. So, I use a combination of um, very common indicators on timeframes that people usually don't use. Uh, That can be things like moving averages, the RSI, MACD, things of that sort on the weekly and monthly timeframe. And this right here is a very simple chart uh, that takes into account a few different things. The fact of the 50-month, which is where we saw Bitcoin's price find support back here in 2015, as well as here in 2019. Uh, And then also, Two other key factors here that we've seen correlations in a rising support line uh, that holds back to previous lows in Bitcoin, two of them being during the bottom, again, ascending. And then also over here as well, what I believe is going to be the ascending line of support for Bitcoin going into the next few months before we really spark into a bull market. And we can see that this is a general consolidation period. It's a period where prices are setting higher lows. And we're also going through a general consolidation channel for Bitcoin, going between uh, key levels here back in 2015, which were between 200 to 300. And this time, I think we're going to be bouncing between the three to 6,000 range and possibly be setting higher lows in this case, which will justify an ascending triangle breaking out to higher prices in 2020 or possibly on a more bullish case scenario uh, sometime in uh, uh, late 2019. Outside of that as well, another chart I wanted to mention for the short term is uh, a lot of people think that. Uh, I, I, you know, I always try to criticize the bulls and the bears and always give a little, everyone a little bit of flak, play a double-edged sword in a sense. Yep. Um, the one thing that I'm really emphasizing to the people who've gotten carried away by the excessive volume, I've even seen it, I, I was just uh, in uh, Amsterdam, and I actually got to meet some really cool guys on the trading floor uh, who are actual institutional traders who met millions of dollars of Bitcoin, um, and they were just completely blown away by last week's price action. Uh, but the one thing I want to emphasize to everyone is to not get caught in this euphoria, because uh, it's very common, and I can actually show a correlation here with uh, some of the old price patterns in the past. And when you're going through a market bottom, uh, when you're at, expanded out of the Bollinger Bands here on the weekly, I mean, this is just uh, too chaotic in regards to the price action. There's not much room left here, in my opinion. I'd love to get your opinion on it as well, Craig, um, about how far this can really run in the short term. I really feel that we're going to see a sharp rejection at 6,000. And the reason I can be quite confident in that is not only because 6,000 was key support for a very, very long time, capped yeah. over a year in markets. And it tends to be that there's two sayings. Uh, previous uh, resistance becomes tends to become new support on uptrends, and previous support becomes new resistance. And a year's worth of support is going to be heavy resistance, in yeah. my opinion. Um, and this is, again, the correlation here where we saw a break in the boulder bands during the bottoming, and uh, I believe we're going to see a very similar correlation here, where, in by, in this case, following what we've seen in the past, we're going to be coming back down to what was previous resistance at 4,000. And that'll line up quite nicely sometime with June and July, which is my general time period for that.
0: Cool. So, well, um, look, I, I can I can jump in.
1: Uh, you got another chart to go through? or? Oh, no, that, those are the main charts that I wanted to share. I know they're quite simple. I have a few other things that I watch, but would definitely love you to, to go over and, uh, and hear a little bit of your take on it.
0: Look, I mean, simple is the way I do it too, mate. I mean, it's, you know, the trading that I've done over the years, um, it's all been about, you know, keeping it simple. So, mm. you know, I, I totally can relate to that. Let me just throw up, where's my, oops. Let me get that chart that I'm after. There it is. And bring that across to here. So for me, uh, let me just blow this up. I, I agree on many of the, many of the points that you were suggesting. There are a couple of things that I can add to that is, uh, for a start, just looking at the daily here, I, I am waiting for a pullback. Um, as you know, you, as you as you know, and most of the viewers and listeners, I'm, I'm a trend follower, and if you are listening to this as a podcast, jump on and have a look at it on YouTube as well, guys, because there's a bunch of good indicator or good uh, chart uh, walkthrough here as well. So I'm looking for a pullback on the daily. I, the thing is, is that I find different. I've been talking about this a bit recently. Is a lot of people seem to get caught up in the um, in, in one side or the other. They think, oh, we're going to go lower. Okay, you can think that, but don't. Trade based on what you think, trade on what you see. Now, when I come back and look at markets, I, I look at what's factual. Now, if you recall, we broke down through the six thousand level here. Now I've got I've got the Bitfinex chart up here because I trade with Bitfinex mm-hmm. a bit. But if you look at this candle here, that was where the, the sell-off started. All right? So let's have a look at that. Went from here to these lows. It fell fifty percent. Okay, so Bitcoin halved in value over the space of what, less though about a month, less than a month. Okay, less than a month. Now, based on the move down, now we know that markets go up and they go down. And in this particular market, they go up and down very, very fast when they want to. Now, if I take this as being the beginning... Of the move to the upside, right? The the first push higher, and I take that same logic of what goes down can go up. I'm not suggesting it's going to do this, but you asked about uh, where it could get to. Well, let's have a look. 50% up, back to where you know uh, to fill in that move gets us back to 63.27. Now, right now. I would much prefer to see the market pull back into this little cradle zone in here and give me an opportunity to trade before it moves on again. Now, I do see what your analysis was based on the way you look at the markets and saying that you know last time it did X, so this time well you know we use history to repeat itself often. I get that, um, but for me, I'm just looking at charting uh, in the lower time frame. so not so much the weekly. I do look at the weekly, um, and what i found to be interesting here is that um, we have a higher low. And a higher high now. We haven't seen a higher low and a higher high since back in the January, sorry, back in the 2017 bull run. The same can be said for the higher lows through here. Now, if you look through, and I won't show everything, but if if you look through a couple of these uptrends, we saw a higher low here to a higher high, one higher high, straight back down. Okay. Then we saw a, a relatively ugly higher low here, not the best one, and straight back down. We hadn't seen three higher highs in a trend at all since 2017. We saw a high here, one, high here, two, and then a high here, three, and it just blasted through all those levels. So there's two things right there that have come into play from my point of view. Weekly's now in an uptrend. The dailies had three higher highs in there as well, and as you pointed out, your 50-month moving average or your 50-period moving average on the monthly, it's also sitting on there. The one thing we don't have, the one thing that I am a little cautious about, is the fact that, yes, there is that support. There's a couple of support levels, really. Uh, the first one, if I look at the daily here, we've got the old lows. It's not a major support level, but I think it will be tested. Uh, I think that may act as some sort of resistance because it was the old lows. And for some reason, you know, we do work from that as a good trade back here based off of that short. Uh, and there's also this support here. Don't forget, 6,000 is also in the middle of that. So I see three levels of upper resistance right now uh, that, we need to get through before we really have any sort of hope. Now, if I look at it on the monthly, zooming back in again, you know, this cradle zone, we're just back into it now. So there's a lower high, a lower low. We've pulled back in. If if this was on a four-hour chart, albeit that it would be a higher risk trade because the overall picture is still quite up, obviously, um, Mm -hmm. it would be something that I'd be considering for a short. So daily... And weekly, positive, monthly, it still needs work to be done. But, uh, overall, it's certainly looking a hell of a lot better than what it was, uh, not too long ago. So I, for one, am thankful for that. And because I will trade the lower (laughs) timeframes, uh, I am happy to be, um, you know, I'm happy to be, uh, really focused on, you know, whatever's in front of me at the time on those lower time frames as well. So, yeah, it's uh, it's good to see that we both sort of look at the same sort of things and f- have come to the same conclusions. But be interesting to see if we get that pullback this time because we're still a very new market and we may, we may change again. And, and that's what we've got to keep our wits about. Things don't always do the same all the time, um, but it's certainly mm-hmm. that'll help us with history, right?
1: Yeah, I want to, I want to take a few points which said Craig because I actually agree with pretty much everything you brought up there. I really like that concept of taking, for example, I, and I want to make sure I get this right. Uh, what you were doing there was basically taking. Um, uh, similar to the price action, how it created a descending triangle and then a breach on price at 6,000. You were showing how on the upside we could treat the breakout as if it was similar to the breakdown in that case and using the 50% leap up. And I think that's a really interesting perspective. I'll be fair, I've never used that before, but I'm going to start using that. I think that's a really good way of viewing it because if investors are going to see, for example, you know, comparing profits and losses in that case, percentage points are always valuable, 50% retracements, 50% leap ups, 100%. I think so that's where, and then uh, outside of that as well, you know, keeping an eye on some of the indicators you mentioned as well. um, I think really good perspective. I think there's going to be a lot of those resistance points at 6,000. Um, and you know, who knows? Maybe we could still climb past them, but whether or not we can hold them as support—that's the ultimate question. Absolutely, uh, yeah. No, really great perspective, man. I'm glad you could share that, and uh, thanks for giving me a little bit of uh, uh, of how you're viewing the markets. No, Drummond's vice
0: versa. That the whole point of that—that that whole using the moves to you know project—it's not so much saying we're going to get there. The the idea mm-hmm. behind that is putting your mindset back into the place it needs to be, which is unbiased. I'm seeing a lot of people out there right now still going, "Oh, the bears are coming back. The bears are coming back." It's like, okay maybe they will come back but why aren't you trading long when we've got the chance to trade long? Make money while there's right. a trend. Don't worry about what you think. What it. you think doesn't matter. It, no one cares about what you think. The market doesn't care about what you think. The market doesn't care if you've got to pay your mortgage tomorrow. It doesn't matter. The market does what it does and you either learn to dance with it in motion or you fight with it and look like an absolute idiot on the dance floor. Right. So it's about getting in that motion and if you t- if you you if you hold yourself to something to be right more than more times than not, you'll miss the opportunity that's right in front of you. So yes, the market can fall back again. It can also go higher. Don't forget that perspective. Trading with the trend is definitely where my specialty lies, and by the sound of it, you too. So let's let's jump into a couple more things on this. We've just covered a few technicals and price action and whatnot, and that was really really great. Um, where are you? Well, why are you now in Zook in
1: Switzerland? What are you working on, mate? Uh, That's a good question. Well, I appreciate you asking. So basically, um, over the last uh, few months, back actually all the way in September, I announced that I was going to be working on something known as Project Genesis. And for a while, we kind of kept it in the dark. Uh, It's been uh, kind of my... my ideal project that I wanted to launch in the crypto space for some time. and I finally revealed uh, the concepts behind it uh, just back a few weeks ago. Uh, just to clarify, because I think it's important, always in a bear market, I, I've gotten in the habit of saying that it's not an ICO, it's not a coin, it's not token, anything of that sort. But um, we're basically just trying to build on top of the foundation of blockchain at the moment and really improve cryptocurrency in the application of money. I think that's where the real value is. Uh, I think outside of that, you know, it's financial services, but kind of goes hand in hand with money in that case, exchanging value of some sort. Um, And and the thing is, there's a lot of problems in the traditional financial system. You know, we've got, uh, you know, almost nearly 2 billion people still unbanked in the 21st century. You have central banks still managing, uh, mismanaging monetary policy. And you've also got something that I think doesn't get brought up, which is that the savers don't see the vast majority of the returns on the interest of uh, the money they leave in the bank, right? You know, the bank takes away 20 30% a quarter while you're making 0.08% on a national average in your savings account. So I wanted to fix that issue as well as the two previous ones. Uh, and I think cryptocurrencies could be the catalyst for it. The problem with it is that we've only reached about 1% global adoption of cryptocurrencies. So, I think this proves two things. Uh, We don't have good incentive mechanisms to utilize cryptocurrencies, and we also don't have a proper framework to do something that's very important for currencies, and that's uh, capital management, which is lending and borrowing in this case, uh, as well as other financial services down the road. So, I set out to try to come up with a set of concepts that I believe would help improve that. Uh, The three names behind those concepts are ledger analysis, Uh, peer-to-peer pools and uh, cooperative addresses or ecosystems. So I'll I'll run through kind of the basics of each one. Quick, just to kind of get a surface level understanding without getting too technical, the first one is ledger analysis. And to put this in a simple, uh, you know, kind of definition or a simple analogy, it's like a cashback reward system for crypto. So I can't tell you, at least in the United States, we've gotten different responses as we've gone through different countries and cultures. But I can tell you in the United States, one of the best incentives you can give people to spend. Uh, something, especially something uh, that they might not do on a rare, uh, on normal occasion, is cashback rewards. Uh, you know, being able to get some kind of points or better yet, cash back on your actual purchases. Uh, and we can do the same model in cryptocurrencies, and there's a lot of ways you can do it. Um, you can basically uh, get a source of funds from the fees that are collected on the exchange and not giving it all to the miners, giving it some back to the users. And then you can also as well do it through having a separate block reward for users. And you can determine who gets these rewards through having a certain algorithm of some sort that values what kind of economic behavior is going on on the network, right? So, we actually don't need to have identity in this case. It's how it differs from traditional cashback systems. Whereas, in the traditional system, it would be Nick spends his money at a gas station, and that gas station is a registered partner. It could just be simply that I send money to a business address on a network, and we don't have to know who I am or who the business is, so long as it meets the criteria of what appears to be a real transaction. Um, So, the second technology outside of that as well, and the third one, really dive into fixing the issue of capital management. The first one was focused really on incentive uh, to use cryptocurrency. The second one uh, is known as peer-to-peer pools, and this is where I believe we're going to revolutionize banking or build banking 2.0 for Western markets. So we very commonly work with third parties. I mean, let's be fair. um, You know, maybe you and I, Craig, for example, could do peer-to-peer lending. I might lend you some money for uh, your your uh, your trading business, or maybe you could do the same for me. Uh, but it's very difficult for people on a peer-to-peer level to uh, manage KYC, knowing they're, they're working with a certain person uh, to validate you know, someone's creditworthiness, things of that sort. Um, and because of that, it's sometimes important to have a third party to do this when we're working with parties we may not know very well. Mm. So I wanted to build uh, the idea. It's very simple and to understand. It's basically the idea that you and I, or any kind of group or conglomerate of people, could create a public address on a blockchain that is shared that manages money for lender, uh, uh, lenders. Lenders excuse me, uh, lenders in this case. So basically, uh, creditors who have savings could store their money in a peer-to-peer pool, very similar to like they do at the bank and be able to lend it out to borrowers. Now, the cool thing about this is that if you actually put this on a blockchain, it's a very simple concept, and you can implement it properly, what you end up having is this open framework for people to compete in the lending world, unlike having the four conglomerate ah. banks that really dominate the lending scene in the US. Um, and what this inevitably leads to is a pressure from both sides, better rates for borrowers, so we start to get away from the predatory lending practices of the banking system. like a Dutch auction type setup you- with lending. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's 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 amazing. Like it basically the other side as well is from the lenders, which basically um, closes in and starts to see more of the interest income coming to the lenders. So you start to squeeze out the margin of the middleman and uh, get people to compete to run things in a more cost-effective way. So a good way that I kind of summarize this in a short manner is: I don't care if J.P. Morgan or Goldman Sachs or Wells Fargo wants to come in and compete in this blockchain lending ecosystem. That's fine by me. But they're going to have to compete with smaller or mid-sized teams that can offer a much better interest rate to borrowers and a much better sharing of the income back to the original lenders. So that's generally kind of the summary of the peer-to-peer pool side.
0: So the end user is the one who benefits by having less restricted lending. Uh, I suppose. I mean, some some lenders are going to want to have a caveat on a property on a large transaction, let's say. If if, if they're looking for a million dollars and you put a caveat, you take care of that. And beautiful thing is that smart contracts allow us to do that without having to go through all the lawyer crap. So they can get a caveat on the property for X amount and they can have that reviewed. And there's also systems out there and projects out there now uh, for hosting your valuations and different uh, sections of the property transaction on the blockchain. So the people, you know, when they buy a house, they've got the full history of that house as opposed to just what the last seller had. Um, without having to go into all the details and spend the money to find that all the information, so that can really come together. And I think that you know, as we look at security tokens as well, and the developers and the property market being probably one of the first to truly grasp this concept, because obviously they want to have liquidity across their projects right now. Developers are finding it more and more difficult to raise capital, sorry, to get bank finance. It used to be, say, mm-hmm. you know, fifty percent sales, and then you get your fifty percent. Sorry, then you get the money for the project at a certain decent interest rate. Now that's gone up to about 70 or 80% sales especially here in Sydney where I am and I know around the world it's changed as well so it
1: opens up yeah, that's more a, opportunity for money flow <laughs> We've definitely got to spend some time, if we have a, a little bit of time, to talk about the real estate market. I'd love to get some of your perspective on that being out where you are. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think it's it's interesting. There's going to be so many awesome applications. The one thing as well that's important to take into mind as we talk about peer-to-peer pools, and I guess the third technology will come up, um, is that you can use all the same traditional systems that are used in the lending world nowadays. So You can still use third-party services that verify people's identities, uh, you know, go through credit scoring mechanisms, the same scoring mechanisms we've used beforehand, or new custom ones as well. So You can follow all the same practices. You can be regulatory compliant if you really want to. Uh, and again, traditional banks can come in, smaller ones yeah. can come in as well. That's the whole thing. Now, the third thing is something that is the, probably the most recent out of the three technologies. And it's one that gets me, I think, most excited. It tends to grab most people when I talk about it at the events that we've done so far. And it's something I call cooperative addresses or ecosystems. So, on uh, basically on a technical level, cooperative addresses are shared addresses that allow us to operate in an agreed upon framework uh, between multiple parties. Uh, this is something a little bit more advanced than well known technologies like multi signature addresses that simply allow multiple people to sign something. And if we get enough signatures out of the portion, then uh, a certain transaction happens. It's very basic. It allows for some cool concepts, but it doesn't allow us to get really flexible and do some really cool applications. So, the idea of cooperative addresses is taking multi-signature functionality and adding uh, decentralized autonomous organization or smart contract logic to that. I know it's a lot of buzzwords, so I'll I'll go ahead and talk about one of my more exciting examples to make it clear. Uh, And that is ecosystems. Ecosystems, very simply, is the idea that we don't need, in many situations, to have a peer-to-peer pool. We can be the pool. Mm. A variety of investors can come together, create an address, and we can pull our money together, and we can borrow and lend from one another. We're becoming our own bank. So, it's a very bold concept, uh, and it probably uh, to be quite fair and uh, you know critical of the idea, I think that it's not going to work or be too popular in Western markets, mm. predominantly in the United States and Canada. I think that it's really going to be predominant throughout throughout Asia, throughout the Arabic world uh, that uh, doesn't usually like to work with third parties or banking or predatory interest rates, and sometimes works in a very communal fashion. Mm. Uh, so ecosystems themselves have to work on a local level. they have to be small to medium sized because. The first factor of an ecosystem is that we're working with a trusted framework. So uh, let's say, for example, you and I, Craig, and maybe some of the other YouTubers, we know each other well, we trust one another, we have great relationships with one another. We want to create an ecosystem and we know that that bond is so strong because uh, I wouldn't want to burn bridges with you and I wouldn't want to try to run away with the money because we talk often and everything. So um, that social bond is something that was actually used in the traditional world of borrowing when communities to borrow from one another. It's the old saying of put it on my tap because yep. my word is good. Um So, that's kind of the first layer of defense that make ecosystems work quite well. Uh, But the thing is, uh, that allows for mostly short-term borrowing. So, maybe I'm able to pull out 1 or 200 coins out of the ecosystem, nothing big, some short-term credit. But if you start to get in towards bigger loans, you have to set in some safety measures. So, you could do a lot of cool things. um, and, And they're quite simple. You could do things, for example, what we call verified addresses, where basically, Uh, You can only send certain loan contracts money that have been verified within the contract. So, in the case of a student loan or an auto loan or a home mortgage, I've only got one party I'm really going to be sending money to. So, I should only be able to send money to that address. Um, Another one as well is you can have basically credit scoring systems, uh, just like we had in the peer-to-peer pools or in traditional systems. If I basically miss out on two short-term loans, I might automatically get kicked out of the ecosystem. And the cool thing about that is that it's automatic. It's not something personal. It's like, look, you know, you stepped into the ecosystem knowing the rules. You, yeah, you didn't make it's a up preset early, mechanism. You know, exactly. And there's a, another thing as well. You can do distribution periods. So I always think back to ICOs and... You know, knowing how the traditional venture capital world works and how crazy it already is, why is it that we gave ICOs $40 million right away? Right, <laughs> It doesn't make much sense. And the same goes for traditional lending. Like We're not going to give someone, for example, for student loans for the next four years, 100 grand. We're going to give them enough for a semester mm. so we can lock away the rest and give them distributions. And uh, the lenders from the ecosystem can sign off when they want to send the rest in that case. Um, so there's all kinds of different concepts. So there's a few that I didn't mention just to keep it brief, but that's where we can kind of go down the rabbit hole of really rethinking our financial system again. On the surface level, the concepts are simple, but you can go wild with it. You can get as complex as you want, and really build it for your community or whatever would be the ideal ecosystem for a variety of partners in a community.
0: Well, it makes sense because you know there are a lot of things that need to change, and it looks as though the banks are starting to prep us uh, for the opportunity of us paying for the right to for them to house our money. It's sort of sneaking towards <laughs> that right now. And what I find interesting is that people look at you know people that don't quite understand markets quite so well think that. Low interest rates are good, and yet low interest rates are great if you're into property development uh, and and that sort of thing. They're really good for you. But for the wider economy, the reason the interest rates drop is to stimulate spending to keep the economy propped up. Now something needs to give there. Either the economy needs to get stronger, and we need the investment needs to be in infrastructural, whatever the whatever the investment needs to be to bring the economy back. Big trade deals, who knows, import exports, whatever, whatever it needs to be, it needs to be taken care of because the prospect of continually dropping interest rates forever in a day. Well, that's not one that works. Uh, you need to stimulate economies in more ways than just making it easy for people to spend money because then the debt levels get too high. And guess what? If employment and uh, job opportunities and job growth and income and um, wage growth doesn't increase with that, well, guess what? These people have got big debt. Well, these big companies also have big debt. They lay people off. The property goes down. The markets go down. The jobs go down. The economy goes down. And you're up shit creek without a paddle. excuse my friend. So there's a a lot that needs to be learnt um, about what's going on in financial worlds and new options coming into it as well. Nicholas, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you and this won't be the last time because I could talk to you for a lot longer about many different things, but for the purpose of keeping it on time, I am going to knock it on the head. But Before I ask, well, so before I leave, I want to ask you one more question. Where can people find out more about you? Of course, guys, you know, probably follow him already on YouTube with Data Dash, but what else can we do? Where else can we find more information about yourself and uh, Project Genesis?
1: Well, Craig, yeah, absolutely. I think we should do this another time and we can go down the rabbit yeah. hole of the traditional financial system. But yeah, absolutely. Um, the best place is to probably reach me or to check out what I'm doing is not only to check me out on Data Dash, but also you can follow what I'm doing with Project Genesis if you like the concepts. Again, it's all from the ground up. It, uh, you can find us at projectgenesisfoundation.org. Um, you can also join our variety of channels on Discord, follow us on Twitter at Enhanced Money, And um yeah, I'll also have a YouTube channel as well that's referenced on my Data Dash channel that you can go to to keep up with content when we start posting that. And uh, keep up to date on my channel if you guys want to see the upcoming events in the area. We're actually going to be coming to Sydney, so we might do an event out that way. So When? <laughs> um, hopefully, actually, I'm, I'm going to be flying out quite soon, so I'm, I'm going to be in Zoom for a few more days. But I hope to make it out that way. Uh, that's my next stop. Well, you know I live there, so we've got to catch up, do some dinner, do some lunching, do
0: some content, and uh, talk about all that is blockchain and cryptocurrency, mate. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for your time. We'll do this again, no doubt. Ladies and gentlemen, over there, over there, and right there, I hope you've enjoyed this interview as it be as it is live, and uh, there'll be many more of these to come. Thank you all for your time. Bye for now.